0: Latin Equity is a podcast dedicated to understanding the newest research and reports on issues impacting Latinos in education and the workplace. Our mission is to disseminate evidence-based microlearning content that advances the status of Latinos in the U.S., Bienvenidos. Hello, mi gente. I am Angel Luis Vélez, founder of Latin Equity Podcast. I am actually excited to get this fiesta started. The second episode will explore culturally responsive training in organizational leadership to engage Latinx communities. First, I will talk about the most two recent examples of why having a culturally responsive training is essential for organizations and businesses trying to educate, hire, or even engage Latinx people. Second, I will talk about a bit about the research on culturally responsive, culturally affirming practices in organizations which have been developed largely in the field of education. However, I believe this, this could also be applied in, to nonprofits and corporations, and we get to the examples later. And there I will share the remarks of our invited speaker, Dr. Gabriel Cortez, who is an associate professor of educational leadership and the director of the Enlace Leadership Institute at North Eastern Illinois University in Chicago on why this is important to have a culturally responsive lens towards communities of color particularly for latinx communities in these uncertain times first let's start with the two examples i have for you and this literally gets me so upset every time i see something like this this example boils my blood pressure because this is my alma mater and a hispanic serving institution northeastern illinois university And you would think that they would know better, but obviously they missed the mark and I'm glad that they quickly found the error and later apologized for the insensitive remarks on Instagram. This is not to put them on the spot, but to show that this sort of situation happens at every type of organization and businesses and at every level. So, for example, in their Instagram account, they share what appeared to be a sick eagle. Given that the university mascot is a golden eagle, however, the message related and said, "I am illegal." Unfortunately, in the Latinx community, on and off campus, the message felt alienating and unwelcoming, and simply maddening. Not only does the institution serve a large Latinx student body and employ a lot of Latinx uh, staff and faculty, but also there are students and family members who are undocumented, who are often the most scapegoated population in the country. The second example was even more recent. For Mother's Day, Kmart, the Kmart Corporation that we all know, came out with a campaign to honor the Latinx mothers, but offensively combined two words. The word mama, meaning mother, and namaste. When they put these two words together, unfortunately, they created the word mamaste, which in Spanish is a term for a sexual act. Unfortunately, these two cases are very much new, and that is why I'm using them as examples today. But this often happens at all levels of the organizations. While these events are happening in social media, they're also happening on the day-to-day interaction with Latinos. And I have myself experienced some of these microaggressions. So how do we fight against these day-to-day experiences that tell us we do not belong? What does the research say about these experiences and how institutions and organizations can address them. First, we have to start with Dr. Gloria Lanson billing and her article entitled, Toward a Theory of Culturally Relevant Pedagogy. I believe this piece to be one of the first influential pieces of research dealing with culturally relevant training and practices in education. In this, in this piece, uh, basically she suggested, in an quote, that culturally relevant teaching must meet three criteria. First, an ability to develop students academically. Second, a willingness to nurture and support cultural competence. And third, the development of a socio-political and critical consciousness. So people must be willing, particularly to develop cultural competence and to understand the social, historical, and political histories of students of color. And in the case of Gloria Langston Billings, black students. The problem was that in the research literature, black students, and now we understand that Latinos face similar issues, that researchers often talk about the failures of our students of color, but rarely question, why are they failing? This opened up new possibilities for researchers to direct the questions towards the students themselves but to focus on why our communities are written and looked upon from a deficit perspective, not only as students, but also employees and leaders in businesses and in our organizations. From Dr. Langson Billing, now we have words such as culturally responsive practices, culturally responsive leadership, culturally responsive evaluation, and many, many more. How can individuals and organizations use this type of framing to advance their Latinx agendas and why is it important? I have invited Dr. Gabriel Cortez to share some remarks on this notion of culturally responsive work. This is what Dr. Cortez had to say about culturally re- responsive practices.
1: To me cultural affirming practices is uh, having an, an asset-based lens when working or serving a, a cultural group, right? Uh, and dismissing a deficit lens when you're looking towards a, a group of people who you know share the same experiences, um, are part of the same culture. And, and this is important because, especially when we're talking about communities of color, uh, when we're talking about African Americans, Latinos, Asians, uh, Native Americans here in the United States, and um, understanding the social political history of these communities, right? There's a long history of uh, institutional racism and discrimination that have taken place in, uh, in important uh, factors of society, from uh, you know resources from housing, uh, employment, education, healthcare, and advocacy for for their communities, right? There's been a long history. Of discrimination, oppression here in the United States. So when we're either working, serving, or, or, or both uh, with groups from, from, from these under, underrepresented uh, cultural groups, it is important to have that social political uh, understanding, to look at these communities and uh, see them as survivors, right, individuals uh, who represent these communities and who are advocating for new spaces and overcoming uh, uh, this long history of oppression, Right, that that's been placed on under, under communities uh but also you know as an institution you know uh, has this asset based lens it's important to to include their counter narrative right because there are uh, uh stereotypes on, on these communities of your uh, school of your workplace to include the counter narrative to to include uh, to understand and embrace uh, the local representation of that culture group that's in front of you right. So if you carry that with you in, uh, in your engagement with, you know, with individuals and members of, of cultural groups, to me, that is uh, what, what I would call having a, a great sense of our uh, cultural uh, affirming practices.
0: Dr. Cortez, uh, in this interview understood, uh, similarly to what Dr. Lanson Billings said, uh, that we must look at communities of color from an asset-based lens and that it takes resources to ensure that we are correctly engaging Latinx communities. I mean, he talked a bit about oppression, about institutional and systemic racism, and we must take this sociopolitical history as part of our engagement with these communities. These communities do not come empty. There's a long lineage of discrimination and oppression. And now we're trying to get in these spaces and hopefully we don't replicate some of these negative effects on our communities. I also followed up with Dr. Cortez and I asked him why these practices are important. And particularly during these uncertain times, this is how he responded.
1: our response to that is it's important for institutions to have the understanding of patterns of resources, right? Where they are low, uh, allocated and where they are not allocated and for what reasons, right? So as we know in the history, um, you know, again, communities of color have been overlooked, right? And uh, and not given the, the proper resources to, to prosper as communities. And another thing to understand is, is cultural space. So even uh, despite the lack of resources, uh, communities do have identities, right? And there, and there's a cultural space and, and, and uh, why is it, you know, it needs to be included in the workplace, it needs to be included in, uh, in the school space if, if you want this, you know, these community members to feel that this is their space, right? And uh, and again, and, and that uh, connects with the community identity. So that's the reason why it's important to, to have representation, right, of cultural values, uh, uh, individuals from from the cultural groups, you know, in, in terms of leadership, right? And why is it impor- more important now? Well, the pandemic has exposed uh, a lack of safety net that, that that we have here in the United States, right? It's it's hit us really hard. Um, you know, you look at other countries, uh, industrialized countries who who have healthcare systems who, that are more accessible, right? And 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 folks can uh, go out and get tested and not afraid to you know to get uh, charged and fall in debt, and you have folks here in, in the United States who are undocumented who are afraid to go and get tested because they don't want to get deported, right? So so the United States is a social system. The pandemic has exposed that, that lack of a safety net, right? And especially for for, for low-income communities of color, you know, and they're they the ones who are being hit hard right now. So, you know, in the city of Chicago, uh, the uh, African-American community has been hit with the lar- uh, largest number of deaths. By COVID nineteen, uh, the uh, majority being the el- elderly in the African American community, but the number of ca- of confirmed cases has also been in the Latino community in Chicago, and, and you know the reason behind that is so you have a lot a lot of folks who are uh, uh, considered essential workers, folks who who need to go to work, who don't want to lose their jobs, who are not getting a, a paid leave, right, or sick days to take care of themselves, and these are also folks who are you know afraid to go to Uh, the doctor or or, or the hospital because they're either undocumented or they don't want to fall into debt. So so understanding that, you know, the pandemic has also forced us into a a virtual society while not everyone has access, right, to technology or the proper technology and have the the savviness to navigate this uh, technology. So the less educated folks are you know, just because you play a play system or, or know all these video games and and different types of software for young adults, doesn't mean that that it's savvy enough for families to to navigate right to to continue the learning of 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 children and 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 uh, students, right? So so that the the pandemic is exposing those inequalities the digit, the the real digital divide and, and right now we're we're you know learning and, and trying to figure out how to serve these communities. Uh, right now, you know, we're, we're being pressed to find alternative methods, right, to communicate uh, with these communities and, and, and members, right, so participation is supported and they can be represented. But also, um, you know, again, it, it takes uh, innovation in, in terms of, um, you know, why the uh, cultural affirming practices are important because folks need to know that you can't blame the individuals for, for not participating, you can't blame the individuals if they can't connect a strong because there's a long history of this, of, of not being prepared for this moment, right? So we need to be, uh, you know, asset-based in terms that there's a willingness to participate, but how can we be supportive and uh, connecting with them so they can continue to participate in either the school education or, or the workplace.
0: As Dr. Cortez was saying, this current pandemic has widened the divide and is currently affecting communities of color the most, uh, particularly Black and Latinx communities. Currently, uh, where I live in Chicago is one of the highest, uh, have one of the highest cases of COVID-19 in Chicago. Uh, So it is unfortunate because it is a mostly Latinx community. Now organizations must find new ways to engage these communities with high impact, culturally affirming practices, uh, to successfully transition them to a more digital landscape, especially students. Uh, But also because as workers, as employees, as leaders, we're considered essential during this pandemic. I hope that this podcast highlighted ways to support Latinx communities from an asset-based lens but also pointed to a new direction uh, of research on culturally responsive practices that could be used to critically engage with our communities. Let me know if this was useful to you and leave a comment on my Facebook page. Also, if you found this useful, uh, please share it in your social media and friends. Have a great day, mi gente. This is Latin Equity Podcast.